Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. Uh, On today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about reasons for domestic abuse. But before we get into that, uh, I want to talk to you and remind you of some opportunities, especially one upcoming opportunity that's still available to you at the time of this recording. It is approaching mid-September, and we are quickly approaching PeaceWorks Live, which is our first attempt at a conference. This will be a virtual conference on September 25th and 26th. Uh, It's going to feature four plenary sessions from myself, worship with the band from Capital Worship, uh, survivor story testimony from my friend Selena Roby, and some special uh, sessions, three additional sessions from Darby Strickland, Joy Forrest, and Greg Wilson. Those will be available Uh, following the live stream. So we would love for you guys to be a part of our first event. And that again is taking place September 25th and 26th of 2020. You can find out more at chrismoles.org slash events. Sign up there and we'd love for you to be a part of PeaceWorks Live. So to our content today, I said we're going to talk about reasons. And obviously, if you've been following me, you you know that Um, I would say there's no reason for domestic abuse. However, maybe a better way to put it is there's no excuse. There's no justification. But when you're talking with individuals who've committed acts of abuse, you'll be met with many reasons, rationales, or rationalizations for why they chose to uh, assault or harm or coerce or control their partner. And I want to remind us, uh, theologically, biblically, what those reasons are saying to us, what they're telling us as people helpers. So if you're conducting an intervention or an interview or you're involved in a case, some of the things that you're going to be looking for go beyond just the words that you're being told, right? So it's there's more to the puzzle, more to the narrative than just what you're being told. And let's face it, for most of us, we're not being told the truth. You know, as you're interacting with individuals who've committed acts of coercion and control, unless there has already been a level of heart change, the information that you're being given will often be laced with falsehood, whether that whether that is overt, direct deceit, or if it's kind of veiled undercurrent manipulation or half-truths, right? Uh, Flowery language or minimizing the actions or the impact. One of the passages that I use, you've heard me talk about it on the podcast before, but one of the passages in the scripture that I use when training leaders is Luke chapter 6. And Luke chapter 6 has a interesting, uh, Jesus gives us kind of an interesting take on where behaviors come from. And he says that a good man brings good fruit from the good stored up in his heart and an evil man, evil fruit from the evil stored up in his heart. You, you can't pick 
grapes from briar patches is kind of the example that he gives from the overflow of the heart so what's happening in one's heart the mouth speaks and so behavior choices they are um, evidence or fruit or um, the the outpouring as the Luke 6 says of what's happening in the heart and so when you're presented with rationale <clears throat> or reasons for abuse one of the things you are looking for is not to um, find those reasons as justification but to see those reasons as indicators or examples of what's actually happening in the heart one of the mistakes that we have made is we have listened to the excuses or the reasons that we're being given for the abuse that was committed and we've made attempts to to uh, mutualize to put that in the context of a relationship rather than within the construct of abuse and so uh, the, the rationale would be something like yes I uh, pinned her against the kitchen cabinets but right and that's the, the the big but there is an indicator that some excuse or rationale is coming but she would not stop nagging me what we tend to do in a situation like that is to mutualize to say okay well there are two people at fault here there is the nagger the individual who is nagging and there is the assaulter the individual who physically assaults and my contention would be well while both of those and I would need more clarification to know whether the quote-unquote nagging was was real or not both of those instances may be in some way sinful only one of them falls into the category of abuse because of the use of power to control another the pinning her against the cabinet so the reason is not my wife was nagging me the reason comes from a deeper place in the heart and so one of the questions I might ask in this course I'm giving you a very brief example I don't just go with one instance so in normal intervention I'm not taking an instance and then digging I'm I'm building a pattern I'm building a series of incidents but just for the sake of argument then the question may be what did you want when you pinned your wife against the wall and he might say I wanted her to stop nagging I wanted to be left alone I wanted her to be quiet and to me the problem is that the desire right led to a choice that was threatening created a climate of fear uses power to control I hope this is making some sense even in a brief example what is happening at the level of the heart as Jesus is talking about okay from the overflow of the heart behavior is spilling out now that's true for both spouses but when it comes to the matter of abuse it's important that we recognize that the fruit on the tree is poisonous as it were the fruit on the tree is not only detrimental to the one who's using those behaviors but it's in incredibly da dangerous and damaging to the person they're being used against because of the presence of power right the use of coercion and control the creation of fear and threat so what is happening at the level of the heart well some would say that the heart biblically speaking is really about what we feel what we want what we choose and what we believe in fact I wrote about this a little bit in my book the heart of domestic abuse 
where I say that each component draws from and feeds into the others. So in Jesus' illustration of the good tree, bad tree, we see the heart giving life to our behavior as the roots of the tree give life to the fruit. Therefore, our counsel moving forward will seek to help our counselee adopt the truths of the gospel, new beliefs, reorient his motivations, and worship, his wants, in order to produce changes in his behavior, his choices, which will ultimately produce godly emotional responses, his feelings. But in the meantime, as we're interacting with an abusive heart, it's important to recognize that these interconnected components, beliefs, desires, choices, and feelings, are all working together to feed the same narrative, the same uh, behavior, uh, which once we've identified it as abusive, right, then it's important not just to address the abusive behavior, but to dig to the level of the heart to investigate and invest in these four areas. Let's start with beliefs. What type of worldview leads an individual to use coercion and control? Normally, that worldview does not include or value others. Normally, that worldview is self-centered. Normally, that worldview involves an aspect of entitlement, right? And so those beliefs will absolutely fuel your desires. So let's say, I believe I'm entitled to be respected by my wife. Now that's a b- biblical principle, right? I mean, we've all been taught that in our churches. You know, wives, respect your husbands. So I believe I'm entitled to respect. Now the problem with that is um, there's no guarantee, first of all, that my wife will respect me. I could be a, a great husband, but she still has to make a choice. Two, what I believe respect is, is also important, right? And so if my expectation of respect is obedience or lockstep conformity or never challenging me, then I may have an unfair expectation. So let's say my worldview is really this, I must be respected. Then what do I want? It'll, it'll formulate itself. It'll live itself out. It'll come to life in my desires. I want to be obeyed. I want to be, I want to be free of challenge. I want my life to be comfortable. I want others to recognize that my wife values me. Do you see the problem here? So the problem is when when I'm the centerpiece, right? When idolatry of the heart is I'm the most important, then my desires will follow that. And then, of course, my choices will be influenced by that. So what will my choices be? They will be based again on what I want, based again on what I believe, And then, of course, how will I feel? I would suggest if my primary desire is to be respected, and that respect is based on some faulty worldview, right? Some absolutely entitled worldview that's absent of Jesus and the gospel, then I'm probably going to feel disrespected. Do you see that? So more than likely, when my expectations are not met, I'm going to feel disrespected, which is going to reinforce the worldview, 
right? In which I'm going to double down on the desires, which are going to manifest themselves through choices, which are going to influence my feelings. This spiral of the heart continues to draw us down into this, this pit until properly confronted. That's why I said in the book, there's a reorientation to the gospel that needs to happen. And I don't just mean the propositional gospel. And I think we got to be careful there because as a lot of advocates could tell you that are also believers, many abusers can articulate the propositional truths of the gospel, but they may not have been transformed by relationship with Jesus. So there is a difference between knowing gospel truth, right? And being impacted by the gospel. Quick recommendation. I'm going to hit the pause button on this conversation and give you a quick recommendation that I'll come back and hopefully land the plane for today's podcast. Um, Milton Vincent, several years ago, wrote a handy little book called The Gospel Primer. Uh, The Gospel Primer is an excellent little work that I assign quite a bit, uh, have assigned quite a bit in counseling over the years. But it was birthed um, out of a place of concern. And so The Gospel Primer is a, you know, you can use it, I use it as a daily read with people, but it's short paragraphs, prose, and poetry about um, gospel issues. All right, so each day you could read a paragraph about the way in which the gospel affects you as a believer, if you are a believer. Adoption, um, love, union with Christ. I mean, these things are, are rich truths. And then Uh, Vincent does a good job of including the scripture there, and he actually has it written out, which I like. So if I give it to a counselee, they read a couple paragraphs about a gospel truth, what we call an indicative, and then the scripture that supports that, that promotes that. But this was birthed out of Pastor Vincent's own struggle, being a pastor, and the gospel not coming to life. So it's possible in the hearts of an individual who know the gospel, right, to not have been transformed by the gospel. And so one of the things we want to address when we're addressing the heart is what we believe. I usually use the word worldview, and I will say how an individual thinks about God, themselves, and others. I will use the great commandment quite a bit, right? And I want to be clear, I I don't think the great commandment has three commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. I think there's two commands there, two imperatives. Love God, love your neighbor. I do believe the passage assumes self-love. Now, that doesn't mean that um, we don't encounter some folks who have a very poor view of self. We should be sober-minded. We shouldn't think more highly of ourselves than we ought, but we, we should have a proper perspective on who we are. So I do say that the Great Commandment has three perspectives. You need to know who you are, uh, especially who you are in Christ, if you're in Christ, or who you are if you're not in Christ, for sure. Uh, We need to know who God is, and we need to know how that affects our relationship with others. Uh, But in that, you know, again, two commands, love God, love our others. But two, three perspectives. How do I view myself? How do I view God? How do I view others? In the heart of abuse, self is almost always elevated to the top. God and others become tools that are used in the hands of an oppressive person, as opposed to surrender and obedience which is why we talk a great deal at PeaceWorks and in Men of Peace about information, transformation, and reformation uh, as we turn to ownership, to repentance, to surrender. 
and uh, how that makes a difference in our life. But in that, one of the things we're looking to do is to address the worldview and to replace it with a gospel-centered worldview, such as Philippians chapter 2, understanding uh, who Jesus was, how he worked, and having the mind of Christ. And so we'll talk about this heart of abuse with the goal of developing the mind of Christ, of embracing the mind of Christ as the alternative. And if you're other-centered, if you're Christ-centric, I should say, and others-focused in your life, then your beliefs should be changed or changing. If the gospel is central to your beliefs, then things should be changing because you should be having different desires. Not wanting to control, but wanting to serve. Not wanting to explode, but wanting to learn patience. There should be different choices. I mean, we should see evidence of that as you choose different things. And then, of course, I think the feelings will eventually change as you begin to have more compassion and understanding and um, love and patience and all of the wonderful things that come with being full of the Spirit. Of course, that's another conversation for another day because um, walking in step with the Spirit, being full of the Spirit, is another aspect of, of change and transformation. So as you think about the heart this week, as you think about interactions with individuals who are hard-hearted, who are um, committing these acts, uh, you know, remember Jesus's words. We don't just need new fruit on the tree as, as if we could just take the apples off and staple bananas in their place. We need a uprooting of the heart, uh, addressing what's happening in how they believe, you know, what we think, what we feel, what we want, and what we choose. And, uh, that is where the transformation happens. And really the, the greatest means of, of seeing that transformation is through a genuine interaction with the gospel, the provisional aspects of the gospel, the positional aspects, and then, of course, the practical aspects as the Holy Spirit brings about change and transformation. Well, guys, thank you again for listening to the PeaceWorks podcast. One more reminder as we draw closer to PeaceWorks Live. You can be a part of our first ever conference, our virtual conference on September 25th and 26th. You can find out more at chrismoles.org. The registration is still open as of today. Please consider joining us for this event. We'd love to see you there. Uh, Again, thank you so much for joining us today. And as always, God bless you.